Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading today is from Ephesians 4. Before I read, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we long to be the people you have called us to be. Help us now as we come to your word. Open our eyes Help us believe and please, by a deep work of your spirit, change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. And in all. Over the last 16 years or so, one of the most popular programs on TV has been the documentary series, Who Do You Think You Are? Millions have tuned in to watch as researchers delve deep into the family trees of various celebrities, unearthing famous and at times notorious ancestors. It's a pretty simple idea for a TV show. So why has it been so popular? Surely one reason is because within each of us, there is a deep desire to know who we are, to know how we fit into the world, to know what makes us us. And it's a horrible thing when we don't know, when we feel lost, like that first day at school when we just don't know how we fit in. So perhaps we've done it, researching our own family trees to find out who we are. Or perhaps we look in other directions. Perhaps we look around us to see how many friends we have or whether we are married or single, in work or unemployed extrovert or introvert, funny or boring, popular or disliked, who do we think we are? We're in the middle of a series in Ephesians, and for three glorious chapters, Paul has been presenting his own version of who do you think you are? But, but this time, the spotlight has not been on some celebrity, but rather on anyone who has put their trust in Christ. And Paul's answer is truly stunning. At the deepest level of who we are, a Christian is not black or white, married or single, rich or poor, funny or boring, wise or foolish, successful or disappointing. No, at the deepest level, we are in Christ. 
We are bound to him. We belong to him. And in Christ, we are loved and chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, made alive. In Christ, his victories become our victories. His power becomes our power. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. In Christ, we have come to know God. And in Christ, we have a new purpose. We've been caught up in God's great plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Who do we think we are? We are in Christ. And now we come to a key moment in Ephesians. Here at the start of chapter 4, Paul shows us that knowing who we are in Christ must change how we live. Look at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling we have received is simply Paul's way of, of summarizing these first three chapters. We've been called into Christ. And being called into Christ has certainly changed Paul's life. For Paul, once a leading Jewish figure at the top of the religious and social pecking order, but now a prisoner for the Lord, in in chains for the sake of Christ. This calling, it's truly wonderful, but it is a calling that should change our lives completely. These verses before us now, they are not some afterthoughts. If we have the time, if it feels convenient, if it's not too much hassle. No, Paul is like a a coach gathering his team just before the cup final, urging them to make the very most of the next 90 minutes. Two big headings for us today. Remember who we are, prize humility. Here is the new life we are to live. Verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Here are Four attitudes that are to mark our new lives in Christ. But but I think humility holds the key to them all. And isn't it striking? After these three glorious chapters, unpacking who we are in Christ, the very first thing that Paul urges us to do, his first big instruction to us, is about humility. The author C.S. Lewis once wrote this. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. The vice I am talking of is pride. And so as we read verse 2, We would do well not to apply this to our spouse or our housemates or 
the other people in our small groups, but first and foremost, to examine our own hearts. And even if we do admit we, we might have a problem with pride, I wonder if we're tempted to downplay how serious our pride is. Perhaps we think that pride is one of those respectable sins, unlike some other sins, like sexual impurity or a fiery temper or getting drunk. Perhaps we're tempted to think, okay, so I am a little proud here and and there, but for good reason. Perhaps we we do serve more than others, or, or we do show more hospitality, or we do give away more of our time or money. And so isn't a little bit of pride okay? But here in Ephesians, Paul will go on to talk about sexual impurity and our tempers and our use of alcohol, but first up, as a matter of pressing importance, he urges us to tackle our pride. Why is Paul so deeply concerned about our humility? Well, one big reason is because pride tends to damage our relationships with one another. When a married couple argue or when two housemates fall out with one another or siblings are bickering and and fighting, when two people in our small group stop speaking to one another, why is that? I guess there could be lots of reasons, but so often pride is lurking somewhere. I I know I I don't like backing down or admitting I am wrong or, or saying sorry. Don't we love to have the final word? And so the walls go up and divisions appear. And this matters because God has a plan to bring unity to all things. And the church, the people of God, we are meant to be where we see God's plans advancing in the world. But when Christians quarrel and fight, when when we dig in and refuse to humble ourselves within our relationships, this cuts right against God's plans and purposes. Remember who we are. Prize humility. This week, our our neighbors have been texting around offering fresh apples from their apple trees. It's that time of year, which is good news because that means apple crumble is back on the menu. But imagine going to your apple tree and not finding very many apples. And so imagine, in order to keep up with the neighbors, imagine taking a Christmas bauble, I don't know, like this one, and imagine taking a handful of these and stapling them onto your apple tree to pretend. From a distance, a neighbor looking over the wall might just look at the baubles and see apples. But if they were to come around and come up to your tree looking for fresh apples, it wouldn't take them long to discover they're just baubles. And when it comes to our pride, C.S. Lewis is right. We know pride doesn't get a good press. And so we make every effort to appear humble. We staple the fruit of humility onto our trees for all to see, but fruit stapling doesn't work. Very soon, someone will come up close enough to us in our lives to see through the guise, 
But look at what Paul says. Not stable the fruit of humility onto your life to convince other people. No, he says, verse 2, be completely humble. How can we cultivate true humility? Well, I think verse 1 holds the key. By remembering our calling. By remembering our calling that, that Christ has done so much for us. Pride thrives in the soil of comparison, but in Ephesians 2, Paul says that we are all equal. We are all equally dead in our transgressions and sins, equally deserving of of God's just wrath. But in Christ, we are also all equally recipients of forgiveness and new life. And all of this is by grace, not by works, so that no one may boast There is level ground at the foot of the cross. There is no us and them. There are no first and second class Christians, only sinners saved by grace. And as we remember who we are in Christ, as we trace back through our spiritual past and see God's grace at every turn, this is where true humility comes from. But also, gentleness, and patience. A proud Christian discovers the sin of another and says, how could you? A humble Christian discovers the same sin and says, your sickness is also my sickness. Your heart is also my heart. Your your need of forgiveness is also my need. And this means a humble person is much more likely to be a gentle and patient person when they discover sin in others. Not responding harshly or with a judgmental spirit or even expecting instant change. And forbearance, I was chatting with someone this week and they described forbearance as being humble, gentle and patient, but for a very, very long time. And isn't this how the Lord Jesus treats us? He chose us before the creation of the world. And he has promised to be with us forever in the new creation. That is a lot of forbearance. Gently, patiently, sticking with us, even though so often we sin and turn away from him. Remember who we are. Prize humility. Remember who we are, second, pursue unity. Look at verse three. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. These are strong words. Someone preparing for an exam might make every effort to revise all hours of the day, or an athlete preparing for a big race might make every effort to train as hard as they can. But here Paul says we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He's talking about how God's people are to get on with one another. We aren't called to create unity, but to live out in our everyday relationships the unity we already have. That's verse four. There is one body and and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope 
when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of them all, who is over all and through all and in all. I've got three siblings. I didn't choose my family. I was born into it. But my siblings, we are family. Of course, siblings can behave as if we aren't family. We could argue and squabble and choose not to talk to each other. But none of that stops the fact that we are still family. We still have the same DNA, the same family bonds. And in a similar way, Paul is saying that Christians are family. Because of our calling into Christ, he is the head and together we are the body. He is the cornerstone and together we are being built up together into a living building. We are one body with the same faith in the same God in Christ. We are already unified. This is why we we need to be careful when people urge us to downplay what we believe in order to be unified with others. True unity is only found in Christ and in a shared faith in him. But, verse four, for Christians who do share a common faith in Christ, Paul is urging us to maintain the unity we we already have. And so, before we choose to gossip about someone or lose our temper with them or or choose to avoid them or or criticize them, we would do well to remember that we are all parts of the same body, the same people, the same living building. We don't mind making every effort for the things we really care about. Perhaps we like it when other people think well of us, so we happily make every effort to keep up our reputations. Or perhaps we like being right, so we make every effort to bolster our story and reinforce our position. Or perhaps we like getting our way, so we happily make every effort to make it so, even if it means trampling on other people's views. These things come easily to us, certainly to me at times. But here, Paul urges us to make every effort to do something that doesn't come easily, pursuing unity, the bond of peace, allowing our reputations to take a hit, being willing to be wrong, letting go of our preferences for the sake of our unity. Why? Why should we make this effort? Well, because in Ephesians, God has a plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And the church is where we see his plan advancing in the world today. And in the nitty gritty of everyday life, we can all play our role in God's great plan. The gentle tone we use with another Christian when we have to talk about a hard thing together. The decision to make that phone call uh, to check someone is okay. Being willing to reach out to a new person to welcome them in to the church family. Going shopping for someone. uh, Picking up 
a prescription for someone, offering practical care and love, all these daily decisions multiplied over a lifetime and multiplied over dozens and dozens of relationships across the church family, they come together like some great symphony playing a glorious tune to the praise of God's wise plan. The plan to turn enemies into friends, rivals into partners, a new people of peace. Who do we think we are? The answer in Ephesians is far better than our wildest dreams, certainly far better than anything we deserve. Uh, We are not a bunch of individuals left on our own to, to fend for ourselves, perhaps with a couple of famous ancestors in the background. No, together we have been called into Christ, a blessed people, a loved people, chosen, adopted, redeemed, graciously made alive by our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and with an unbelievable future to look forward to. And as we remember who we are, there's a new life to live, prizing humility and pursuing unity. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious calling we have received, called into Christ, called in to share in all the blessings he brings. Help us to live lives worthy of that calling in humility and in unity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.